Colorado live to fight another day. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into the second Burgundy Radio podcast of the Avalanche Playoff Run. We're coming at you on Saturday between games five and six. Coming up on the show, we'll chat about the Az performances, especially Andrew Hammond. Holy shit. But before any of that, I gotta introduce the other disembodied voices. Say hello to Earl. Howdy, folks. And say hello to Jackie. Hello. And also joining us today, say hello to Rudo. Hello. We usually go through the week in order, but this is not a usual week. I don't want to want to wait to talk about Game 5. Colorado going to Nashville facing elimination without their top D, without their starting or backup goaltender. But they do get Sam Girard back and win a defensive duel 2-1. Colorado absolutely took over this game partway through the first, and they just controlled play for about half the game until an absolute disaster of a shift against Roman Yossi et al. And then Nashville was ownage for about 15 minutes. Nick Bonino finally scored with a deflection off his skate with 10 minutes left in the season, maybe. But the Avs said to the gods of death, not today. Rantanen in the corner makes a great pass to McKinnon in the slot, who had a stick up to signal a one-timer. P.K. Subban sold out to block the shot, but the shot didn't come, leaving that guy flopping hilariously like a fish. McKinnon with world-class patience, finds Gabe Landeskog and defender to the top of the crease with an open net, pulling home into. That's his fourth of the playoffs in five games. About three minutes later, Colorado get a two-on-one from their own zone as Tyson Berry strings. JT Comfer gets across his fin Andrew Ghetto, who'd been dangerous all night, and he gets rewarded with a night with gets rewarded with 90 seconds to play. I probably should have wrote a better sentence there, y'all. <laughs> Abs win 2-1. Andrew Goddamn Hammond saves 44 of 45. What did we watch? A burger get hamburgled? <laughs> a miracle? Burgled. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you put it best on Twitter last night when you said there were three games inside of that game. Because, um, I, I mean, the Avs really did take control of that game for a long period from sort of the mid-first to the mid-second. And then Nashville just grabbed it and ran for a long time. And, you know, it really looked like that was going to be it, especially after the Benino goal. Um, but I just, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think I can be surprised with these guys anymore because they just keep doing stuff like this. I feel like I need to mentally and kind of emotionally prepare for the end. Just, just again for, for me. <laughs> and every time that happens, it's just like, Nope. <laughs> it's yeah. It's We're definitely a little going. exhausting, right? It like is. that. That game was the second time we had already prepared for the end against the Blues, and then we had to prepare yeah. for the end in this one too. I mean, I'm obviously not complaining because these these are huge moments for them, and it was exciting. It was almost so unexpected that they could do this at the end of this game, like. The Blues game, you definitely felt like they had a chance to win it, and they had a chance going into Nashville, but, you know, with 10 minutes left, it just kind of felt like, all right, that this is kind of it for them, and I think you'd mentioned, Earl, they hadn't won on the road since 2010. Is yeah, that, the, am I remembering the, the right? first game of the series that they played that year against the Sharks, um, they won a game in San Jose, which... You know, that that wasn't the Craig Anderson game where he saved a million shots and Dan Boyle scored the winning goal for the Avalanche. Um, but, 
I mean, it just, it's, you know, given their struggles on the road all year and the fact that they hadn't won a road playoff game in eight years and, and, you know, your third goalie is in there. It's just, you know, you, you really thought this was going to be how the season ended. And, you know, and, and then they scored. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think there was another statistic that no team in the NHL had had a comeback in the last five minutes in a playoff game in five years. Yeah, the last crazy time was, like that. Yeah, the last time was the, the Hawks against the Bees in 2013. And then that was in the finals. Um, and I you know, saw so that they, this was the, the first Nashville home loss since like like maybe the second in the last two years or something in the playoffs like they do not lose yeah. at home on the playoffs yeah i mean there's there were just so many you know in, in the last five minutes of that game there were just so many things that that said that there is no chance of the avalanche winning it like i i you know i could have seen them tied tying it up and going to overtime and and sort of <clears throat> you know maybe losing a heartbreaker there or something like that but you know, to Andrew Ghetto's goal, you just really didn't see that coming. Um, you know, you, you saw Comfer and, and Sven rolling down the ice after everyone sold out on the Preds. And you're just like, wow, that's a good chance. Hey, they're going to score. <laughs> they're going to win. <laughs> I, I definitely stood up in my room when, when they came across the red line. I was like, here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I think that's one of the storylines that have kind of flown under the radar. And granted, I don't think Comfer has had any great points, but he has three assists in this series. And I, he went, what, like 15 games without a point down the stretch this year? So, And Kerfoot as well has a couple of goals. So the depth scoring that we kind of lost in the regular season has really kept us alive in this series. Yeah, if you look at it, Bork has two goals. Como has two goals. You go down the line, I think just about every forward has a point. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Com for this series. I mean, he definitely still looks like a rookie. Um, but but until last night when he was uh, just he was basically playing with uh, Willie and, and Bork, um, it looked like he was really learning his craft on how to be a center on a you know, sort of a shutdowny type line in the playoffs. And, you know, those guys were, you know, they weren't really dangerous, but they were creating good chances and, and they got a few goals. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think we saw a comfort grow a lot more over the past five games than we had in, in maybe the last month or so of the season. I can confirm we have zero forwards with zero points. The only skaters with zero points are David Warsawski, Duncan Siemens, and criminally, Sam Gerard. He definitely so, deserved a point in the first game, for sure. He's but hit, like, hit the three. post in game five, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. hit, like, three posts. Yeah. No, he's, he's been close. Maybe he's just saving it for tomorrow night. Have a hat trick tomorrow night. <laughs> Do it, Sam. Oh, my. Please. The Predator fan base, if that happens. <laughs> they've been be a real fantastic. they've been a real special bunch um i don't really want to get into that but that that's been interesting <laughs> um so do you, did you guys feel like um the 45 shots against that that nashville produced in game five did you feel like that that was a like an actually representative number um 
because it, it felt to me like they were shooting kind of everything from everywhere and didn't get a tremendous amount of chances. And obviously they did get a, a good number of, you know, grade A chances on the doorstep that Hammond shut down, but not as many as you would expect from a 45-shot performance. I mean, I think it's the standard, right? They see our third-string goalie is in, so just throw the puck on. Yeah, because they had 36 shots at 5v5, and I, I think they only had 10 high-danger chances, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I question the accuracy of that, but, the, you know, it's definitely not a lot more than that. So, I, you know, I think you're right. They were definitely throwing the puck on net and, and hoping the third goalie just choked, and that didn't happen. I feel like they had waves of good pressure. Like, there were a few times that they definitely had extended shifts and zone time, so I, I could see where maybe the shots built up, but I was a little surprised to hear they had that many saves after the game. Yeah. Because I'd have to look. It's... nothing that i looked up recently but i don't think the abs have really been outshot like that where they've given up 40 45 in quite a while i don't think it's happened in this series but i could be wrong i think it's not like four wasn't too hot but that that might be it yeah yeah i guess what i'm trying to say is it's not like the old abs where you just like of course they're going to get outshot by 10 15 or more well, yeah, it, you, you look at the the final shot shot on goal totals, and it's actually pretty similar to Game Seven in 2014, um, where they just got smoked. I mean, and you look at score the, effects a little bit there too, right? Like yeah. most of the games that Nashville has won in this series, they got a lead early in the second period at the latest, and then they have one of the best defensive cores in the league, so they just defended and took advantage of us and won, whereas in this one, it was a tie game all the way down to 10 minutes left, so Nashville pushed a little bit harder, especially in the latter stages of the second period. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of been this theme of the Avs do better in the beginning, and then kind of Nashville gets their footing and pushes and pushes, and kind of the dam breaks. Obviously, in Game 4 was didn't quite happen with Nashville actually scoring, but it kind of still feels like the same kind of story in all these games. And it's like in the game five, they did a better job of just holding on, I think. And then obviously they scored at the end to change the story of that game. But it does seem kind of like a little bit of a pattern there. Yeah, Game 5 was the first time this series that Colorado have not taken 30 shots on goal, which wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, they got a bunch blocked and they shot wide a lot. Um, And it was also the first time they allowed 40 shots. So the the 45-27 in this game was much, much wider of a margin than any of the other games in the series. But I I really do think it's deceptive. And it feels like one of the better defensive games they played, which is funny, but that's how it feels. Well, I mean, you look at the heat maps that I kept putting up during the game, and it's like, you know, one of them, it was almost evenly distributed throughout the offensive zone where where Nashville were taking their shots. You know, it looked like a a chicken pox. And, you know, I I definitely think that's a symptom of a team that's just like, you know, if we don't allow these guys to score and we keep shooting on their third goalie, then this this one's in the bag. Um, And it just, it didn't work out like that. Um, 
I just, I, I just wonder what they were thinking at the end when they let that breakaway go. I mean, you know, after, after uh, Landy tied the game up, you're looking at it like, all right, we're probably going to go, you know, I, I'd be surprised if anyone scores from now until first overtime. Just because, you know, you figure both teams would kind of shut it down and not, not get too wild. But Nashville started selling out trying to win the game. And then, you know, that that's kind of what led to Barry with the outlet pass going right past all their D. Well, you know, it's really interesting when you look at the Avs defense through the first one after Sam got hurt in games three and four, especially they had Siemens and Orsovsky playing, what, six minutes a night or something like that. In this yeah. game, you get Gerard back. Five of the Avalanche's six defensemen played over 20 minutes tonight. The sixth one being Siemens, who played four minutes. So right. adding in yeah, Gerard, all of a sudden, you have so much more minutes that get eaten up that you at the end of the third period, you don't have Zadorov and Nemeth approaching the 30-minute mark just totally gassed, and all of a sudden, your whole defensive core is a lot more ready to go. Yeah, it was a great distribution because I think I, I think Nemeth was at twenty minutes and thirty seconds somewhere around there, and I forget who was the the high man uh, was twenty. I think it was Barry was twenty four minutes and thirty seconds. So no, it's like, flip him. Nemeth was sure twenty four. Barry Zadorov. Okay. Barry yeah, it's like all, all of them were out. within four minutes of each other as far as ice time. Yep, and it was it was very evenly distributed, and you know you didn't get that feeling that the guys were gassed in the third period. Yeah, there was another game where it was almost perfect. Everyone had, or or the five had twenty minutes. I don't remember. Was that game? It might have been the game eighty two when it was like that. When it was almost perfect distribution of the five, and yeah. it is also something that I've noticed too is that, um. And then, and then Barry plays less. Like I said, he actually played less than Sam. I think barely less overall, and and definitely by a couple minutes, five v five. So, I think, and then that contributed to Barry being fresher. And I think he was much better at the end of the game than than he had been over the course of some of the other games where he was overused. And For one sure. other thing that I've been looking up is. The Avs haven't won a single game where Barry plays over 25 and a half minutes, which <laughs> the entire sense. year, which <laughs> you would say he plays that much when they're losing, but it hasn't, it hasn't led to any kind of wins. And so. Yeah. That, um, I mean, Barry playing that much is almost like a score effect. Yeah. It's like a bad sign. <laughs> I, oh, I mean, they're know. all bad. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, the decor works so much better when it's balanced. And I think, like, moving forward, they're going to have to figure it out when you integrate EJ back in, which would be great. But you just can't default back to him overplaying him. Because I think at this point, Gerard's shown that he should be getting around, like, 20 minutes. And Gerard should be team. second pairing at least for sure at this point. Yeah, I think it. I mean, it, it should allow you to go with a hot hand. I mean, you know, if EJ needs to play twenty six minutes once in a while, that's great. But if you know if he's not having a great night, then play him twenty two, and someone else plays a little bit more. I mean, you know, it, yeah, it, it should allow you the freedom to go with what you're feeling as far as who's playing well that night, and sort of cater the defense to the situation. 
like I don't mind Nemeth playing a lot if it's a certain kind of game. It just you shouldn't do that a lot, and you shouldn't do it in other kinds of games. Yeah, I I agree with you there a lot. I actually do think Nemeth had a great game five, but he did. If you're playing Nemeth twenty five minutes a night every night, that's not going to end well. Yeah, I mean, you want his average to be sort of in there with the other guys, but it just you know. You, you don't need to overplay him because I, I think just like you were just saying about Barry, if you overplay Nemeth, then at the end of the game he's gassed, and then he can't help you when you really need something like that. You know, when you're trying to turtle. So one thing that was different about Game Five than all the others in the series, and I I made this this joke in the Discord that is because Ryan Hartman wasn't there. Um, <laughs> But this, this game had a lot less nastiness than the other games have had. Like, it was a lot more, uh, just kind of an, of an even keel, not a whole lot of, like, late hits, not a whole lot of after-the-whistle garbage. Like, there's obviously a little bit, but th- this one, it felt like Nashville were a little bit flat on that front. Like, they didn't have the we're-going-to-beat-you-up energy that they've had in games one through four, especially four. Did they just... Feel like I think they any had series as you, as you get, yeah, I, I think it, it, in any series when you get further along and you get to games five, six, seven, people get a lot more business like because even though the Avs penalty power play has not been able to make Nashville pay for playing like thugs, um, you know, that could change at any time with, with the personnel the Avs have. So it's just, I, you know, I, I don't think playing that way pays off for them. You know, when when they're sort of trying to clinch and now they're, you know, they're probably thinking like we better clinch here in game six. So I I think it'll be even less uh, clotty tomorrow night. You know, I do wonder, especially given this matchup where everyone is expecting Nashville to win against the Avs, if they push the envelope as far as they could. Like, they saw exactly what they could get away with, and then once Hartman got suspended, they said, okay, here's the line of roughly what we can do. Now we can pull it back a little bit. How'd you guys feel about that suspension? How'd you feel about that suspension, by the way? Because I thought it was about right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it could have been two games, but I'm fine with one. It was a carbon copy of the Drew Doughty hit, and he got a carbon copy of the Drew Doughty suspension. Fair. Right. Yeah. I mean... I don't think like they're just, they're looking for a fall guy or anything, but I I think that they were looking to suspend someone, probably from Nashville, um, just to just to hopefully have the effect that we saw in Game Five, just because you know it 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 wasn't making for great hockey at, in a lot of times, just because um, you know you had the Game Two nightmare where they called fourteen penalties and things like that. You know, it's like nobody wants to watch that. You know, the kind of game people want to watch is, is kind of like last night, um, you know, with maybe a little bit more scoring. But, it, you know, everything was decided at 5v5 on the ice, and that's kind of what you want to see. Yeah, I mean, and that's a three-game suspension in the regular season. Easy, too, right? And then you just subtract the playoff factor. Yeah, I can give you that. Um, <clears throat> what else happened in Game 5, y'all? Like, if this was just... This this win was just so big. Um, we should talk about how much of a beast Gabe Landeskog has been, not only in Game 5, but in the whole series. I agree. I think he's 
leading the team in points and goals. He is. He has four goals and three assists for seven points. Um, that's not, he's not leading for assists. That's uh, a tie between Barry and Miko. Um, but he does have the leading goals. He does have the leading points. He has the team's both of the team's power play goals. And 16 shots on goal, which is a distant second to McKinnon's 27. But, uh, yeah, he's he's been really, really good. Yeah, I mean, you can't ask for more from a captain than his performance over these past five games. I mean, um, he's leading by example. And, you know, the great thing with all the shenanigans that have been going on, it's like he's not really involved with that as much as maybe you'd see during the regular season. Oh, I thought um, him and PK were going to fight. <laughs> but it, I mean, no, about, halfway through, about halfway through the first period of game three, they were like, but they looked like they're in front of the net, they were Joss. When they looked at, at some point in the next two games, if this matchup stands, those two are going to rumble. Like, that's what I thought. <laughs> like, I was sure of that. Yeah, but he's not doing, you know, he's not doing Austin Watson stuff, you know? I mean, he's not just being truculent for the sake of being truculent. Um, you know, he's staying out of, he's been staying out of the box. He's been obviously scoring very well. And, you know, it's just, I, I think if you're the younger guys on the team, you look at how he's playing and, and they're, you know, they're kind of trying to mirror that because, you know, he's very, been very businesslike and, and very diligent with his work on the ice. And, you know, that, that's, that's what they should look up to. Yeah, his, yeah. his only questionable moment wasn't even his fault. It was just because Ryan Johansson stumbled at the last minute. Yeah, yeah. I think he's done a great job of walking the line and not only playing clean, but also at a certain point he says, "All right, that's enough dirty crap from Nashville," and he's going to hit him back. And he's hasn't cost him or anything, but he's willing to draw a line and say, "We're not going to let you guys get away with that." Right, he took one yeah. frustration penalty in game four, but he also took a Predator with him, so well done. Yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned it last week that I wish that it it wasn't points that we could point to, because, you know, a lot of people are going to look at the points and say he's only doing a great job if he's got the points, and even though I brought it up, I brought it up that he's leading the team, which is another indicator. I just wish that the type of game he plays could be appreciated without points. Yeah, I, mean, the- I, th- I think you're right, but I, I think when he plays, you know, the right type of game, I, I think this is the result you see. Well, but, but certainly the production is is also what we need from him. I just feel like a lot of the subtleties of his game get lost. Yeah, Landy plays the role the team needs, right? Rantanen has certainly not been himself this series, and so Landeskog stepped up and filled that role of point producer on the top line with Rantanen kind of struggling. So when Rantanen was producing, Landeskog said, I'm going to let you guys do your thing and I'll be the defensive guy on this line, and it's worked. He finds his role there to do whatever they need. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with y'all. I wish that more people appreciated what Gabe does. Um, when he when he's not shooting twenty five percent like he is this series, um, because it, <laughs> people just start wondering where's the leadership on this team? Where's the captain? Like, well, sorry he didn't score a hat trick tonight, but th- y'all say that if he scores two goals in a loss, so yeah, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, G- Gabe has been. You could not ask for any more than what we got out of him and Nathan McKinnon as well. 
Um, we, we've been worried about what he's going to do on the road all season long because he's just struggled on the road all season long. And he's got a point. Does he have a point in every single game? I think there's one that they missed. I think game four, maybe. And that's at home. Yeah. So there's your name. Yeah. And I think someone had mentioned that he leads. And I haven't verified this, but I think leads everyone in the playoffs and shots on goal and scoring chances, I think, or shot attempts. It was like leading everyone. Like, yeah. I'll double I got check a kick that. out of that. He I'll, has 27 shots on goal and 27 scoring chances. Yeah. I'll, I'll double check yeah, that, that yeah. but I think, uh, I think it was Dmitry Filipovich that said that. Yeah, I think it was his tweet, so I'm sure he's and, correct, but that just, maybe you don't feel that because he hasn't scored a hat trick and this and that, but the fact that he's generous, and, and that the top line has been quiet at certain times, I you mean, think maybe they're not dominating, but when you hear it in that context that he's created so much, it... how many players like have the cojones to hold onto the puck in the slot for a good three, four seconds while all the predators around him fall down before he like passes for the easiest goal in Landis got career. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I think, I think just that play and that goal itself needs a little bit of discussion because yeah, just, just the play that he made and just, what was PK doing on that? Like, I, I understand going down to the ice, but then he like rolled over. I I don't understand that. See, a- after he went down to the ice and he saw that the shot that he was blocking didn't get taken, uh, that's just <laughs> about a second and a half of no. <laughs> well, one yeah. another aspect of it that I I hadn't seen anyone mention, so maybe I just saw it wrong or something. But didn't Ellis take out Rene? I mean, what was he oh, doing? Sure so that was actually Rene's fault. McKinnon Was, kept on did? holding to the puck, and Rene comes all the way out of his crease and bumps into Ellis, and then Ellis falls onto him. So, yeah, cause look where <laughs> Rene is when that happens. It's like he's, you know, he's like five feet to the left of the goal with Ellis sitting in his lap, and, and, yeah. and, and they're, they're just sitting there looking at each other like, "God damn it!" Um, okay, that makes sense. Because I was wondering, what is Ellis? Are they trying to do the whole oh goaltender interference like? When you notice you're screwed, you might as well just <laughs> flop for the goalie interference, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. McKinnon does lead the playoffs. He has t- with his 27 shots on goal. Second is Evgeny Kuznetsov with 24, and third is Alex Ovechkin with 23. So that's a decent company. If you're yeah. out shooting yeah. Ovi, you're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one other thing that I found hilarious about that goal is if you look at, at Landy's face um, while Nate's trucking his way through the slot. He's not looking at Nate. He's kind of looking down at Rene and, and sort of looking down. And, and basically, he wasn't looking for that pass. It, it just sort of looks like he's like, oh, the puck. And bam, it was in. <laughs> Maybe he you was know, looking was, for a rebound. Maybe. He... Yeah. I, no, I think he thought Nate was going to shoot it. And that's what he was. You know, he's kind of focusing on Rene to see what Rene was going to do to react <laughs> to the shot. And yeah, suddenly he's got the puck. <laughs> that actually like terrified me. There was a half second there where Landis got realized he had the puck in a wide open yeah. net, and I, and I was like, "Oh my god, is he gonna miss?" <laughs> exactly, you know. <laughs> but it was just so beautiful. But you know, it's like you could see his face light up when he got the puck. He's like, "Oh, I've got the puck, and there's an open net." <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that that whole that whole sequence just deserves like 
immortalization and slow-mo. <laughs> and the best thing was, I mean, you know, the, the comp for Sven goal was, was eerily similar with, you know, lots of predators lying on the ice. You know, I mean, one thing I was thinking at the time, besides the woohoo, was like, Eric Johnson should look at this and never slide again. <laughs> this is what happens when you slide. <laughs> Stay upright. Eric Johnson has a knack for it, though, man. He's such a He's long reach with it, his but... stick. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not on the never, ever, ever train. There's some people that believe you should never do the flop. Sometimes it does work, but there's a lot of times it doesn't. Well, if anybody I mean, knows what his downfalls really close are, to the guy. <laughs> if you're super close to the guy with the puck, it works well. But if you're not, like, if you're right in between two guys on a 2v1 it's not good like this is definitely the team that knows how to get or how to step around somebody who's sliding in front of you because it's like when, when you can't figure out how to beat something you have to have to try doing it yourself so you learn when it's good and when it's bad right so they're experts here they they know how to step around the swimming motion <laughs> David Pasternak leads the playoffs with 11 points, by the way. I was checking to see where the Avs stack up. and Pasternak. Yeah, how about that contract, huh? I, it's it's wild, though. There's so many, like, small little storylines here. Like, even the tying goal ranted and made the initial pass after looking off for the first four games, and then he comes up huge. That was such a good pass. And he's been so bad with the puck in every other game and every other situation. He finally, like of all the times to finally get it where he wants it. That's a pretty good time. Yep. And, and he still has four assists, right? I don't know how many are primary, but right. I don't know if any of them are primary, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and that, you know, last night's assist was, I mean, you know, if, if you're the, the type that poo poos secondary assists, I mean, that's the kind of secondary assist you look at, like, you know, without that, that play doesn't happen. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you can see McKinnon before he's even in the frame, like, he has a stick up calling for it at the blue line because there's so much room in front of him. But... <laughs> <laughs> and Nash Nashville's been really preying, if you'll pardon the pun, on Miko. I think they've, they've noticed the weakness there. Like, hey, we can get the puck off this guy and get out of the zone with it. Um, so yeah. when he has it in the corner, he draws a crowd. And that leaves uh, just Subban and Ellis to keep things out of the slot, and they did not succeed. And it, I mean, to take that a little further, you noticed last night on the power play, like everyone thought there was new personnel on on power play one, and it wasn't. It was Miko was behind the net, Gabe was in front, and Jost was on the wall where Miko usually is. It was it was kind of mixed up, and mm. I think that's a good response by the staff like not take you know a lot of people like oh you know take Rantanen off power play one because he's garbage and he's basically killing all the penalties for you know doing the Preds job but I, I think swapping the guys around like that keeping him involved is a great way to just sort of you know say that you still have confidence in him but sort of minimize what he can do to you if he yeah. continues to play poorly yeah I think the adjustments they've made has been good because uh, all year long, Bedner really hasn't had like the real overreaction kind of adjustments. And I think he stayed consistent with that. And, and the little swap that he did, 
with Andrew Ghetto and Wilson on the two lines, I think that was a help without completely tearing apart all the lines. And yeah, and I don't think that was a demotion for either guy because those lines basically play pretty close to the same minutes. And I wrote about this today, but it was it was nice because it, it seemed like the frat line was struggling with not having enough grit. And putting Wilson up there, you know, gave Jost and Kerfoot, a, a, you know, sort of a guy that could um, help work the boards, maybe keep the puck in the zone a little bit longer when they're in the offensive zone. And that putting Andrew Ghetto with Comfer, you know, that, that kind of made a little bit more of an offensive threat there. Yeah. So I, I, think it, I think it worked great for both lines. And I, I think actually I'm interested to see how that works out tomorrow night because – um, I, mean, I think with a little bit more chemistry, that, that might work pretty well. I mean, obviously it worked great for Comfort and Andrew Ghetto, as we saw. I'm not as sold on the Wilson move being great, just because Wilson has been really lackluster this whole series. Like and He's been great, he just can't finish. Yeah. I, I don't even know <laughs> if I'd call him great. Like, I mean, look, look he's at the... Had some ho- he's had good hustle. I mean, he's... Yeah, I mean, he's, he's moving. He's looked a little like, bit more... Fresh than he has all years. I'll right, yeah. for that. he's supposed to be Nick Benino, right? Like he was sold <laughs> to us as this veteran guy who's going to come in clutch and in the playoffs and all of that, and he hasn't been. Oh well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that, Earl. <laughs> no, but I, mean, I think I'll, for, I'll for what him... Wilson does well, I think I think it helps Kerfoot and. And Joe's to have a veteran guy there because it's just like Sven, yeah, Sven's a little bit older and not really that. I guess he's not even that much older than Kerfoot, but um, he's slightly more experienced than those guys. But I, I think they really needed someone, I don't know, to, to give him a little more direction on how to play. Yeah, know. and I, I understand that. You know, Sven isn't a jam guy, right? Wilson at least is going to try and get in there and get pucks in deep. Sven's more skill oriented. Yeah. And- Wilson's had good chemistry with Jost before, so so maybe maybe that could work. And and Bender pretty much said what you said earlier about kind of what they were, what he was kind of going for with making the swap, just kind of giving that one line a little bit more heaviness, a little bit more grit, giving the other line a little bit more skill. So. Um, I mean, we laugh, but, you know, Gabe Bork has two goals. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he wasn't the offensive weak link there. (laughs) Yeah, like that line's working and and he wants to play that line. Yeah. And um, and that's I think that's kind of helped Comfort, too. He's obviously helped that line, but I think that line maybe having an identity and not just a parking spot for the four guys want to dress, but don't know what to do with. I, I think that's helped him too. I, yeah. I think I think he kind of knows the role and the purpose of the line and he, he can work within that better than it just kind of being like the whatever line. And so well, it's also it, nice because that line was matched up like Laviolette, I, I don't know if he noticed or cared that Wilson was on a different line, but he put <laughs> the fourth line against uh Comfer's line last night. And I, you know, I really think, you know, putting Andrew Ghetto against the Fisher line is, you know, that that's a definite plus for the Avalanche. So yeah, I think their adjustments have been good, and like you, 
said earlier about the power play, just making that little switch. If it had to do with Miko in particular, or just they want to give the power play another look. And then I think it also gets back to the D pairings. I think that sometimes the shuffling does drive me crazy, but I think they found a good spot with the five they want to use. So it seems like the coaching staff has kind of done what they could within the series to kind of um, give themselves maybe little advantages here and there. And and Duncan did not for a second game in a row. He was not not very good at all. And you know that that's too bad. But um, you know he gave him a couple good games. I, I think both he and Warsawski. Like you see a lot with guys that don't play much, they come in, they have a good game or two, and then they tail off. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they put Alt in that spot as as the token sixth uh, defenseman. Mark Alt. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe even Lindholm, since he was the one who who dressed for the warm up last night. Um, yeah, I've been calling for that for a while. I mean, I don't think there's much doubt that. All of those guys seem like pretty hard sevens right now, but yeah. it's when one of them falls off, you know, you might as well take a chance on another guy. It's not like they're going to do much worse. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see all just because I, I think they really do need another right-handed guy just for certain situations. And I, I don't know. I just, I trust all more in doing what he did for the last part of the, the season than Lindholm hasn't played in forever. Yeah, and even but even through all this, Duncan's the one they chose for yeah yesterday. But he game, screwed up. So. That, that's two games in a row where he really screwed up. So <laughs> you just I don't know if he can keep doing that. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll see. I mean, I I get it for having keeping him for the PK, but yeah, yeah dr- having someone and they play four minutes is just like. I mean, just when dress a thirteenth forward. At that point. No kidding. And, yeah. and in those four minutes, he ices the puck from one stride short of the red line at least once. I was just twice. about to mention that he didn't play after that, so <laughs> I don't think they liked that. Deservedly so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing the series has continued to do is just highlight the shortfalls of the Avalanche defensive uh, depth. Yeah, so, but I mean, if you have. If you have five guys that can play, that's plenty. That's probably one more than most teams do. Yeah, Chicago won the cup with four defensemen a couple of years ago, basically. <laughs> so. so before we leave game six behind, or game five, sorry, game five behind, um, I, I have one kind of big picture thing I want to mention. I, I brought this out on, online last night when it, when it occurred to me. I'm really glad that the season didn't end in game five. Because it means that this the Pepsi Center home crowd gets to give this team a real send-off. Um, whether they lose Game 6 and it's the end of the season, or they win Game 6 and they get that huge ovation to send them off to Game 7. Because if they had, after losing Game 4, if they didn't gone out and lost last night and that's the end of the season, there's some closure missing there. That doesn't feel good. I felt like the end of Game 4 was at least... They made it close. They did. Yeah, at least they gave the crowd something. I mean, I was at that game. It it wasn't a great game, but the, but the end of that at least felt like you know, hey, this is what this team is. This is kind of the guys that we believed in. It would have been okay if that was the last moment because they tried. They were there. 
they didn't just pack it in and kind of leave everyone with a bad taste in their mouth. But, you know, assuming that this game six is entertaining and close and isn't terrible, then then that <laughs> that's probably better. But I felt I at least would have been okay with at least how they ended that game for. I mean, even if it isn't close, it, even if they lose tomorrow night, with, they, even if they get Brazil out of their own arena, they still get the end of season send off from the fans that they deserve after how much how much more fun this has been. Um, and if they do win, then they and then they lose game seven, then they still get to end on the on the big crowd appreciation. And I feel like that would have been really missing um, if if they hadn't survived game five. So you think it's kind of better if it's going to end to end at home? Yeah. Definitely. And in this, not exactly the same, but in the same vein, for the record, I think the Benino goal was a good goal, but a situation like that with a questionable call that gets overturned, it just doesn't feel like a good way to end a season. Yeah, if that had, if that game had ended one nothing, I would have been pretty bummed about it. Yeah, you'll notice we didn't talk about that goal. It's It's whatever. It's a coin flip. I didn't think it was close to being turned over. I mean, or... You, I guess, I, I, close to being not turned over. I guess what I'll say about it is usually for a, a goal to be waved off because of kicking, it has to be a real obvious, like, big motion. That's the thing. They called kick. it on the ice, which is but weird. yeah, But yeah, the, you usually don't see them call that on the ice. Which, I, that that was the surprising part. They really should just let them kick it in anyway. Like I, I don't I think agree. there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I, I, as long as you're not like kicking it out of the sky and putting your skates right. in people's arms and stuff, then that then yeah, I 100 percent am with you on that. Skates yeah, should it's be probably fair more game. kicking motion they don't want rather than kicking goals in. I mean, he knew what he was doing. He angled his foot. He he kind of lifted yeah, it, it off the ice. Uh, I mean. When you get into the, you know, could you have overturned that? Yeah, that's kind of the gray area. But a goal like that, I would have said those are usually considered good goals. So it is what it is. And it's glad that that wasn't the lasting kind of memory of this series. So let's run it back to game three. On Monday, Avs win 5-3, and they really just owned this game from the word go. Blake Como, Gabriel Bork, and McKinnon beat Pecorine in the first, and then Nate beats him again in the second to chase him out of the rink. Nashville turned on the afterburners and picked up a couple of goals, but Gabe Landeskog seals it into the empty net. That game was fun. They needed a game like that. It had been a while since they'd... Yeah, they really needed to score that second goal. They... They'd scored the first goal in all three games at that point, and they just couldn't get themselves over the hump. So to finally do that on home ice, it kind of felt like they really were in the series. And then the third, and then the fourth. And then yeah. that McKinnon goal, that the third goal, I believe it was, with Landeskog in the neutral zone. and Yeah, Landy like, went beast mode there. And then giving it to McKinnon all alone. That, you knew that they had the game at that point. It was just really nice with how goddamn long it's been since Colorado's beaten Nashville at all. Yeah. It was like a eight-game losing streak against them or something. Late 2016 or something yeah, is the last time. It's been them. a while. Because Nashville's been kind of a kryptonite for Colorado for a while just because they play that 
heavier style that the Avalanche have not been able to deal with until this year. But yeah, Game 3 was good. Um, and then on Wednesday, Avs fall in Game 4, 3-2. They, they really struggled in this game. Uh, they got off to a really terrible start, thanks to an early 5-on-3, and n never really recovered. And hopefully Patrick Nemeth never catches the puck in his hand ever again. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. thought they get momentum but, after killing the 5-on-3. It just, nope, yeah, that game didn't. just unraveled. <laughs> I, not on the ab side, but what Game 4 showed me is that I'd be really concerned about playing the Winnipeg Jets if I'm the Nashville Predators. Yeah, because like, Landeskog and Kerfoot managed to get a couple of their period. It didn't end they, up being enough, but they did not put the Avs away. Yeah, they gooned it up, and it cost them heavily in the third period. And a team like the Jets, not only are they going to also beat the crap out of you, but they're going to take advantage of that just as much as we did. Yeah, Y'all really want to goon it up against Dustin Bufflin? Okay. <laughs> he won't run over you while he has the puck and then score a goal. I think the Winnipeg Magic isn't going to go as far as maybe a lot of people think. I mean, I picked the Preds to make the Cup Finals, I, just I, for the record. But <laughs> the Preds to win the Cup, but if, if they play like this against Winnipeg, I, they've had a lot of weaknesses exposed. Um, and if if Winnipeg can can pick up the pace against Nashville, they've got a really good chance in that series. Yeah, the Avs yeah, have definitely agree. made them uncomfortable. The, the Avs and the job that Bednar's done with the game plan and the matchups, they've they've definitely taken Nashville off their game at certain points. I think they don't even have any goals from defensemen. That's that should be one big clue there, right? Right. Yeah. So do y'all want to talk a little... Like, we talked a little bit last time about what Bednar was doing differently to keep Nashville kind of slowed down in the neutral zone. Do you ha have? Do we have any other observations um, from from this week's game with, with an actual 2-1 record, Colorado winning record this week, against Nashville? Whoa. Um, have we noticed any new changes in overall strategy or coaching or usage or any of those areas? I don't know. I, I just I, I look at what the staff in general is doing, and it, it's just an impressive body of work. Um, it's a lot of subtlety. It's a lot of in-game, very small micro adjustments that you know that keep them in games. I mean, if you really look at it, the only times where the Abs have been totally out of a game are sort of late in the first one, and then sort of the first two periods of the of the game four. Um, but you know, it's been a battle the whole time, but it just looked like Bednar and Pratt and Ray Bennett and, and everybody else that, that helps with the strategy and all that have really put together good game plans and fixed things that aren't going well uh, in-game. So I, I, think, I, I think that's something that bodes well for the future, and I think it also has shown other teams that the Preds might face later on, like the Jets. Um. And perhaps, you know, like Vegas or, you know, any of the Eastern teams that, that might make it to the finals or whatever. You know, this is sort of a game plan that can be followed to to win a series against Nashville if you have a little bit more talent and experience. Yeah, it's it's interesting that I guess everyone kind of knew that forward depth would be a weakness for Nashville. But outside of Austin Watson doing meme things... They really haven't gotten much outside of Forsberg. Yeah, like Fiala's been a ghost man. 
it's 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 kind of weird that I, I don't know like you, you think of the preds as sort of generating any everything from the back end and then having you know a couple of skilled forwards to sort of capitalize on things and you know that's that's not really what they've been doing for the whole series i mean they've, they've just you know they, they haven't been doing anything offensively that's consistent yes because it's all founded on on the defense I guess you could say that they're kind of waiting for the defenseman to step up. They shouldn't. <laughs> it, it does feel like they made a concerted effort to play a more physical style through the first three or four games, though. Like, they seem to focus their game in on that instead of really trying to push the offense. Yeah, well, if, if yeah. you can sucker Colorado into playing a punch-back-and-forth kind of game, they're not going to win. That's not what this team's built to do. It's not what they're good at. Um, so maybe that was the idea behind that. Like, hey, let's let's try to get them off their game, try to get them to play our way. Because they can't keep yeah. up with Colorado speed, and they shouldn't try. Right, and if you look at sort of the last week of the season when, you know, the, the Avs really weren't playing very well against teams like the Ducks and the Kings and the, and the Sharks, um, you know, if, if you're LaViolette, you're looking at that, you're like, you know, it's like if we play physical and, and get a, a big forecheck on their defensemen, I, I think we're going to be okay here. And, you know, it's it's worked okay for them, but it's not it's not something it probably isn't working anywhere close to as well as they thought it was going to. Yeah, it, it's worked in stretches. Like we've seen stretches like in the first period of game five early when Colorado could absolutely not get the puck out of their zone with any kind of control, um, which is just infuriating to watch. But then they spend the next, you know, half hour doing whatever they want. So Yeah. Yeah, it's it does feel at times like Colorado has be- beat themselves a little bit with the sloppiness for sure. Game two is a perfect example of that. Yeah, <laughs> game of that was throws hideous. that was. Um, yeah, I guess you're you're just. I, I think if you're, I, I think if you're Laviolette, you're really just not that happy with the way your team's played over the whole series. I mean. You know, on paper, they really should have swept this series. I mean, you're the the one seed versus the sixteen, and you know it, it's it's still in doubt in game going into game six. Yeah, they definitely didn't want to come back. They know how well the Avs play at the Pepsi Center, and then you get into a game seven, anything can happen. I mean, I still think they have a good handle on the series, but they're certainly not happy. The one thing that Nashville does have going for them is they're still healthy. Yeah, they have their starting goalie. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say we kind of need to mention how we we got to the Hamburglar because Bernier left in Game Four, and it just seemed like maybe initially it was kind of a shakeup kind of thing, and then it was revealed he had a lower body injury, and then in the interviews with Hammond, he kind of indicated he knew it was kind of coming that Bernier wasn't going to make it at some point, which that's, that that's quite something to have in the back of your mind, knowing that I think for Bernier himself, but also the team, everybody just kind of knowing that the dam's going to break at some point. Yeah. I mean, we we were thinking that sort of that was rest as a weapon, him not practicing, but I guess it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't really believe the whole calling up Martin to practice, I, I didn't buy that. That that was way too fishy for me. 
and the whole like oh he doesn't need yeah he doesn't practice or morning skate ever yeah that was a little much too that may help explain why he's just been not quite good enough this whole series bernier where he's i don't know if he's stopped a single breakaway chance all in the last week and a half and, yeah. And yeah, it's not it's never the goalie's fault that there's a breakaway goal, but you got to save some of them. Yeah, yeah, it's a I mean his mobility has looked a little slow and, you know, you just sort of figure all right, that's Bernie, but, you know, if you sort of <clears throat> look back at things retroactively knowing what you know now, I, it, a lot of things make a lot more sense. Yeah. And then, of course, you still have Johnson, who's out. You still have you have Miko, who's playing, but very obviously has an injury. Yeah, there's to, no way he's a hundred percent. He's got an <laughs> yeah. injury to a hand or a wrist. He cannot receive a pass or take a shot. Like he took a backhand sh- shot in Game Five that he pretty much took from the shoulder. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he kind of shoveled the puck. And if that had gone in, it would have been an absolute laugher. But. Yeah, got it on that. And then he got Nate's stick inside of his face. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy's looking rough now. His hat went flying. I was like, "What have these fucking goons done to Miko now?" But nope, <laughs> it was an accident from Nathan McKinnon. Friendly fire. Well, I think we also need to mention getting Sam back. That was such a huge, I think, thing for the team. Oh yeah. And um, he's been so good in his two whole games. He's been so good. Yeah, and I, and I think coupled with kind of his last his last week when EJ went down for the latest time, I I think he's taken at this point. You could consider it even like a step forward. I think I think his game, and he's been consistently playing that well. And um, it's just it's so great that he could come back before this series is over. And yeah. I think one thing that you know people who hate Barry don't really get is that um, you know like Bednar or any coach loves having Barry in the lineup because other coaches don't know how to prepare for him because I mean Barry's just a wild card. I mean part of part of the things that frustrate us to no end also frustrate opposing coaches because it's just it's it's so chaotic. And and Sam is sort of the same way although he's he's more in control. But he does things that you really can't plan for, and that just makes it a lot more difficult for an opposing coach to do a game plan when you have Barry doing his chaotic stuff and then Sam doing stuff you really can't prepare for. It just it, it makes the Avs incredibly difficult to play. And, and not having him, I think, really showed, and I mentioned this last week too, just kind of how big of a part of the team he's become you don't really realize it till you don't have it and just how much a relief it was for him to come back in. Yeah. I, I really do think this playoff series has cemented the idea for all of these guys that the young guys are just as much a part of the core of this team. And that's what they're going to be going forward. And yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, even the parts of Sam Gerard's game that you can prepare for, it really doesn't matter. He's still going to beat you. Like, if you forecheck yeah. him, you know he's going to spin away from you. And he still puts guys on their ass into the boards. Yeah, I don't even yeah. think he's done the spin much. He's just, like, trucking. He just makes violent control now. moves that, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, more than 90 degree turns on a dime. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's so hard to forecheck someone where you have no clue what they're going to do. His legs have to look like Martin St. Louis did. 
to, to have that much strength on his skates at all times. Yeah. And he's so smooth though. You just don't, it, it's not, you know, it's like some guys do that and it looks like they're, they're trying to stamp out a fire or something. Watch the door. I'll try and make that spin move. Right. And, and it's like, <laughs> Sam does it. And it's just like, he's suddenly going another direction and you're not quite sure how. It's like that little element that I love seeing in him live is because you don't quite get all of it on TV. When you see it live, it's just, yeah, just the way he moves is it just pops right off the ice. Yeah, with, with, with some players, they're coming one direction and then they spin away from you and they're going another direction. And with, with Gerard, he's coming at you and now he's going away from you and he spun in the middle. It's, it's a little faster. <laughs> um, so yeah, Colorado and Nashville, the last series alive in the West. I'm sure everyone predicted that. <laughs> Tampa won today, so they will advance over the New Jersey Devils. Big surprise there. Um, looks like Washington won a- another overtime game. Are you kidding me? Wow. Well, I was going to mention that this series hasn't seen an overtime yet. I don't want it to. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't... I was sure we were going to have one last night. I'm, I'm, yeah, me too. I- I'm really not trying to blow a blood vessel in my eyeballs. Um, <laughs> if you're going to have ready. an overtime Take game, me now. Yeah. a 7 o'clock game is much better than an, a 10 o'clock game for an overtime. I'm just saying, it seems like every playoff series needs an, o- no, an overtime before it's over. Um, but yeah, LA gets swept by the by the Vegas not aces. Um, I, a lot of people thought Vegas would win that series because LA has no offense. I kind of thought LA may finally get unlucky for once. Not not the, or not, not the, or Vegas. Not, not hard candidate Kopitar. Nah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Not that Vegas has been a tremendously lucky team, although they have had some luck. They also haven't, haven't gotten unlucky yet. So, yeah, that it's a great story. But Winnipeg or Nashville, either one on the top side of the bracket, I don't see any way they make it through that. If oh, they even get through the Sharks, yeah, they got to get through the Sharks, who swept the Ducks. LOL. I think I watched a lot of those Vegas games. Ow. Maybe no, maybe no one else watched the midnight <laughs> hockey, but I did. That team plays like a machine. Like, I mean, the Ducks get swept has to make everyone in the league, but Ducks fans happy, right? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, it makes fans of 30 teams happy. Well, I I think what we saw against the Sharks in in the second to last game when they were, you know, they were content to chip the puck out every time. And um, I I think that's something that, that can negate a little bit of speed. So it's a question of whether that strategy is going to work against Vegas. I, I don't think it will that well. So that, that might be a quick series even. Uh, San Jose has some players who can score goals. So it's a whole different, different game between Vegas and LA. Like yeah. From, from the games between Vegas and LA. You know what I'm trying to say. But, um, so but, wa- but if the Sharks don't handle their speed, woof. Yeah. Washington is up on the Jackets 3-2 now. Um, Philly took game five off of Pittsburgh, so that one's heading back to Philadelphia 3-2 in Pittsburgh's favor. That um, series has been the, the most hilarious, strangest, bizarre. No one can win by a goal. You gotta win 5-1, five five 6-1. Like, damn. There's no chill in that series. Yeah. And then Boston and Toronto play after we record tonight, so if Boston's advanced, y'all will know. Boston's advancing. Yeah, I, I'm ready for a whole year of of Leafs corpse flogging. 
It's going to be great. <laughs> Can't wait for them to trade Phil Kessel again. Y'all don't, y'all don't think Nazem Kadri is going to be the difference? <laughs> no. We're already seeing articles like, it's not Matthews' fault. Would Carlson work on our blue line? <laughs> Carlson will work on the blue line for 31 teams in the NHL. Yes. Stop writing that article. Should your team oh, not go Carlson after... with a K, Carlson with a C. Oh. Either way, right? I think the point holds just not quite as good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as strong, but it's still pretty valid. So, yeah, Colorado have... Uh, Outlast, like, there's been a lot of stompage in this first round for some reason, except for in the Washington and Columbus series, which no one wants to win. Yeah, it's weird, because, I mean, when they went to the divisional format, that was to make the, the first round a lot more competitive, and it has been really I up until... I hate the divisional format, it's so stupid. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I can take it or leave it. I, I think it, it makes the first round a lot better, usually, and the, the second round worse. Um... But I, I think that might be flip flopped a little bit this year. I just kind of hate the uh, the the contrived Tony. rivalry thing that they try to force on everybody. And I am very glad that this series with Nashville may actually spark a good rivalry between Colorado and Nashville, so that we have something you know rivalrous on our plates that isn't the god awful rivalry with the Minnesota Wild. That rivalry sucks ass. Yeah. Speaking of that rivalry, we did outlast them in the playoffs for the first time in forever. Yeah, the Minnesota Wild also got destroyed in their elimination game against Winnipeg last night. How do you roll into into an elimination game and give up four goals in the first period? Not good. Don't laugh. It could happen tomorrow. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did they ever get out of Winnipeg, or is their plane still broke? <laughs> I think they had to walk. <laughs> it's not, it's that, not far. that far. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, the Avs officially outlasted four teams. Could be five. Might might be five by the time y'all listen. Um. So before we get into what's coming up in Game Six, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the farm system. Eric Veyu is no longer with the Colorado Avalanche organization. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah that was, can't be a bad uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, that was some really wonderful non-abs related news to just jack the week up a little bit more. Um, I, I was pretty confident it was going to happen, but until it actually does, you're you're just sort of left wondering whether they're going to, you know, pull the trigger on it or not. Well, they wasted no time. Ugh. Yeah, they really didn't, um, and I don't think they really wanted to announce it. But you know, when the Frenchies get a hold of something, it's out there in the wind. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then they didn't a- announce AJ, it. They did. Yeah, and then yeah, and then AJ got it confirmed. Thank goodness. Yeah, so the French media is like, "Well, Eric Veilleux will not be back with the Rampage," and Avalanche yeah. fans are going, "Does that mean it's because he's going to be with the Colorado Eagles, or is he gone? Come on, <laughs> this matters. Let's go." Right. It just the way that that all was set up and it makes you wonder if that was kind of the plan because he wasn't necessarily fired. I remember when Dean was let go, the I think the rampage actually tweeted it that Dean was let go. Well, and, I, I mean, we don't know what his contract is. I, I guess we right. assume that it, it's, it's, it, it was a two year contract and he's fulfilled it and, and they're going their separate ways. Right. Which is not, I guess not technically a firing or was it always kind of the plan? 
you know, yeah, we'll I, see if the Eagles coach slides in, then you can kind of wonder, was that kind of the plan? Oh, I so do we'll wonder when Evie found out, because I know Earl kind of had a running <laughs> joke for the last two weeks of the season, because Evie was just playing literally like whoever <laughs> instead of Avs <laughs> prospects. But Yeah, um, you know, if if you, you know, given what you know today and you look back, it, it, it does make some sense. Especially um, if Schneeklaus stays, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, if he knew going into this year, they only had a two-year contract, saw the writing on the wall, knew that they're moving to the Eagles, knew that they, the Eagles had a coach that has, was successful. The Eagles have a coach that not only played there, but had played with Bednar in South Carolina the writing starts to become a little bit clearer. So maybe that would explain a lot of his screw avalanche prospects approach the whole year. I don't know. And, and, and yeah, you, you throw into, you know, like I, I don't, I, I think that people overblew how much the, having the, the St. Louis uh, secondary affiliation affected things but one thing i'm pretty sure it did affect was the amount of knowledge of systems um you know the av systems that that you had access to and he did have access to the power play (laughs) and the the drop pass doesn't work quite the same way when you don't have nathan mckinnon just throwing that out there and there are other teams that that do that big gigantic (laughs) drop pass now it's it's not just for Nathan McKinnon to get the drop pass in his own zone. I've I've seen. Uh, I think it was Washington was doing it. Yeah, for it's a little Kuznetsov. different. You're trying in the AHL. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just it's a it's a new trend and apparently, and I would rather it die. But yeah, we are gonna have a whole podcast to really pick pick through the rubble of this, and also to talk about the Eagles playoff run, which continues. Yeah, I'm. It's really fun. Um, there's four real legitimate Avalanche prospects playing for the Eagles right now, and they're right probably now. the Cup favorites. Uh, Baron, uh, Nantel, Bodan, and Milosh is Thank the you. biggest one. Uh, Milosh, I think, really has a good chance of getting NHL games next year, so it's definitely worth watching him at the very least. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun time. They're supposed to be the cup favorites in the ECHL, and it would be sweet to see them go out on top as they move on to the AHL next year. It would be so like they have been promoted. Yeah, it, it'll be cool, too. Um, I actually get to go up there sometimes, so I'm going to have interviews with guys like Malosh and Baron. so you guys can keep an eye out for that, too. Yeah, right. and they're, uh, they're heading into Game 5 tonight. They can wrap it up if they win. So... It would be super if they did that of the first round. And you'll be there, right, Rudo? Yep, I'm leaving in like 45 minutes. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about Game 6 in the Avalanche series before Earl has to run away from us because I know he's on a tight schedule. Uh, Game 6 is on Sunday at 5 Mountain at the Pepsi Center. Um, And that's that's all we know. Um, This podcast will be back before Round 2 if the Avalanche end up coming out of the series on top. Otherwise, we'll be back at a normal time next week. So, will we see Game 7? <laughs> I predicted at no. the beginning that we would go to Game 7, then last week I said no, because 
They didn't win one of the first two games. I'll, I'll go back to yes. I mean, this, this team just they're not they're not ready to be done. They <laughs> just they just keep going. And, and I agree with that. I mean, I, I picked this series in six, and it, it you know if you use your head and look at everything in front of you, it, it, everything points to that. But then again, really pointed to losing last night as well, or sorry, game five as well. Um, are, are, are they going to lose twice in a row at the Pepsi Center? That's yeah. I mean, it's just I I you know I look at what the crowd was like in Game Three, and I I think that's kind of like what the atmosphere is going to be like, and it just you know I I could see them easily come out and score another two or three goals in the first period and just ride it. You know, it'll it'll um, be the overtime game. I will I will throw up all over the place. Please don't. <laughs> The thing is, the Avs need somebody to prove wrong, so I'm going to say they don't make it. Because that's been their whole, se- their whole season, their whole playoffs. Every step of the way, everyone was like, oh, well, they'll never do this, or they'll never do that. And then they went on a 10-game win streak. They were going to be an over 500 team. They weren't going to make the playoffs, but then they beat the Blues to get in in the last game of the season. Everyone picked Preds in five. They made it to game six. So it, they just keep proven people wrong i mean following that logic then they should just go ahead and win the whole series right <laughs> that that would be something i you know and that's the I thing i mean think... I, I mean we all know that I and mean, we keep saying that you know once it goes to game seven that that everything can happen sure and everything will happen exactly <laughs> and you know that that's just a total kitchen sink game and it, it's something that yeah, we had a game seven a few years ago that we we won't discuss again. But thank you. Um, you know, I I really think the motivation to get it to a game seven on Tuesday night is going to be there. And you know, they might fall short, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if if that's what ends up happening. Yeah, I also just... picked Preds in six, and this the way the series has gone has turned me into enough of a believer to think they're going to make it to game seven. It does feel like for me, this is kind of as good of a team as they have. It's just to kind of make make a first round interesting, but ultimately don't have the team for the second round. But they just they just keep going. So, I mean, it's the playoffs. Anything is possible. But I'll believe a repeat performance from the Hamburglar when I see it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't think a repeat performance from the Hamburglar is going to be necessary. Yeah, I guess I guess we should say what what is it going to take? I um, I would expect for Colorado to force a game seven, an, another first period just offensive explosion. Whether that's because Rene shits the bed again, or whether it's just because they're so overwhelming with their momentum, with the home crowd behind them, with how they play at home. Um, I don't think it's going to take another. 980 save percentage out of Andrew Hammond for them to make game seven. Maybe a power yeah. play goal would help. It might. If, and <laughs> Maybe three. If they, if they do need that many saves, no, they're done. They won't, I, mean, they won't I think get that one again. thing that the Avs have going for them is that we've seen a lot of, of the players and, and, you know, mostly the young players, um, but just, you know, just everybody on the team in general 
has looked like they've been learning things and improving over the series. Yes. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's sort of a dangerous thing to see if you're Nashville is because, you know, it's like they're not downtrodden. They don't look like they're beat up. Um, you know, they, they look like they're learning and they're enjoying it and they want more. And that's just, you know, that's not a good feeling if you're a veteran team that's expected to win. I mean, I think that's the key for me is no matter the outcome, what the Avs have gained from this series is valuable. Definitely. Um, it, the second half of game four, I was very encouraged. Even if they hadn't scored two goals in the third, I was super encouraged with how that game closed out because Nashville jumped ahead of them and punched them in the face. And Colorado didn't say, all right, you win this time. They said, so these are the things you can get away with. Okay. <laughs> And started, you know, playing their own playoff hockey. They have shown that they're learning what they're here to do. Um, and that's super encouraging for beyond this season. I'm not annoyed super they lost game four. scary for the four. rest of the league, too. It is. I, I'm, I'm not annoyed at all that game four was a loss because they took so much out of that. It isn't like the... I haven't lost since. Yeah, it, it isn't like the Wild Series <laughs> in the Miracle Year when... Uh, they, you know, they just, at home they ran over them, and on the road they got run over and didn't learn a damn thing. And I think the big, the huge question. I know we're going to get into like a lot of the big picture stuff later, but just how do they do with expectations? Because even now, even though they've shown they can hang, they still have no expectations. They still have no pressure. Any any game they get further is just like another game under their belt. Just a, another game that they can go out and show what they can do. And in the miracle year, that was the year where they were expected to win that series. You know, they 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 came out with the two nothing lead. They won game five. Like they, at multiple points in that series, they were supposed to win that series. Right. I don't. I, I think there's more pressure on them to win than you think. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of external pressure, and you know, I, I doubt that that Sackick and management is putting a ton of pressure on them. You know, to, to come through with a series win or anything. But you know, I really think that, that you know they expect to win more than than we give credit. Um, and I, I think they're not surprised they're going to a game six and, um. You know, I, I think they do put pressure on themselves to win these games, and I don't think they're just sort of happy to be there, like a well, lot of people think. I do feel like they really want to keep playing. Like they feel like something special is happening. They they don't want it to end. Like I I definitely feel that vibe that they're going to be devastated when it's over, regardless. I mean, there's just there's so much bulletin board fodder with you know like everybody at ESPN picking them to lose in five, and then on the idiots in Winnipeg chanting "We want Nashville" last <laughs> night. I mean, you know, can we like... talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Winnipeg fans, the chant. I I know it's been a while since you've had a good team. The chant isn't "We want the next round's opponent." Dream... <laughs> like, whoa, you want to you want to play in the second round? Dream fucking big. The chant is "We want the cup." <laughs> Yeah. Losers. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought that was hilarious. And everyone just like, oh, you know, it's like, of course, Nashville's going to win. But I'm like, you know, if you're, the, you know, if you're on the avalanche and you're seeing that, and I, obviously they were, you know, they, they had other things on their mind at the time, but I'm sure they know about it now. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at that like, you know, no, nobody's still giving us a chance. And here we are playing a game six at home. So, 
Um, you know, I, I think that they, you know, they believe in themselves a lot more than people outside of the team do. Sure, I, I totally believe that. But, but at the end of the day, they still are running on house money. Oh, yeah. We, we've learned, like, we know the team has learned a lot from this, but we've learned a lot about them, too, and about how tight this locker room is, and how the guys who have survived through the absolute debacle that was last season, and even at, at times, you know, a couple, some points of this season that were pretty low, this is a group that just does not say die. They are they are trying to, to win every game for the guy next to them, and that goes a long way. And And I think, to that point, that we are going to get... I want to get into that when we get into the the wrap up because yeah. I think I think that's something that we need to get into. So I'm not even going to touch it right now. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, hopefully our next show is not the wrap up. Um so let's <laughs> let, let's make our final series predictions right here. I I am predicting Preds in 7. Preds in 6. Preds in yeah. 6. I said Preds in seven in the you did. in the first the first show, so I'm, I'm going back to it. I, I think they've got a, a real good chance to win game six like you do, Jackie, but I don't see them winning three in a row against Nashville. That's a little much to ask. Yeah, I, I, think, I think playing at home helps. I mean, it does seem like, you know, it was kind of that one last moment the you know game 82 was like the one last moment the the win in game 3 was like the one last moment last night feels like it but you know but it, but they always have one more in them so i'll say there's one more until they don't yeah <laughs> there's one more and then it but i i picked 7 2 weeks ago so I gotta stick with that. Yeah, right. Right now, Nashville are are learning, and hope, and probably the entire league are learning that against Colorado, you really need to follow the Zombie Land rules and always <laughs> double tap because you have to actually put this team away or they're not done. Cardio is a big one too. Yeah, because you know altitude and all that. <laughs> So anyway, um, like I said, if, if Colorado make it out of the series, you will hear from us probably in the middle of next week before the second round would start on Thursday, Friday-ish. Um, but otherwise, we'll be back at our normal time um, with a series wrap if they don't make it. So we will see you next time on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio or on MixCloud at MixCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. Kia, you're going to eat in a second. Get off. Um, my dogs are antsy for this show to end. Um, we, we post Those every week at, at burgundyrainbow.com you can join us on our discord you can follow the show on iTunes you can follow us in your favorite RSS podcatcher and we're we're all, all all over the social medias and we're all in the discord so get at us however you feel like it we're available um, everybody on your feet scream like mad on, if you're at the game on Sunday and we will see you next week What are you doing? That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> she jumped up on me and licked my pop filter. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I thought mine All right, was guys. I, 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 got, I got a split.